what's great about passive investing and investing in syndications, and I, I talk about this all the time because I think it's so important, is taking control of your future. So, so many of us are, are raised and, and told, okay, invest in the stock market, invest in the stock market. And that's okay if, if you want to do that. And, and that's great. And we're invested in the stock market too. But diversification is is really key and understanding that you can take control of your future and you can you should know what you're investing in. So if you're investing in a real estate syndication, what does that asset look like? Is it multifamily? Uh, we have a short-term rental fund, right? We were talking about that earlier. What does passive investing mean? You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Jason Muth right here. That guy over there is attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Titletown Real Estate and Urban Village Legal in Boston. Rory, we're going to be talking about passive investing today, leaving your W-2 income, raising, leaving your W job, raising money. And we found a great expert that could talk about all three of those topics. And Rory, we're eager to introduce her to our audience. Yep. And this is the dream for many, many people. So if you're sitting at the beach this summer and you want to know how you can stay there all year round, this is the podcast episode for you. Yeah. You know, we've talked about passive investing on this podcast a number of times, but I want to really dig deeper into what is passive, you know, how you find investments, how you work with people that are raising money, raising capital for investments, how you build, how you build trust with your investors if you're raising the money. And I think that we found someone that could speak about all these different great topics. And we'd like to welcome Angie Aki for, to our podcast. Angie comes to us from Florida and Angie is with Ohana. I'm sorry, I missed the name. Ohana Investment Partners. Yes. Angie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I really appreciate it, Jason and Rory, and the opportunity to be here and speak to your podcast guests. We love your name. I love the hibiscus flower that's in your name. I love growing hibiscus flowers. That is a hibiscus flower, right? In your logo? It is. Yeah. Yes. Is there a connection to Hawaii? So my husband's family on his dad's side, his dad was actually born in Hawaii. So he still has family in Hawaii. And our goal is to, so I chose the name Ohana. I'm a big believer of community and bringing people together to do amazing things. Hence the name Ohana, but obviously that is a, comes from Hawaii. And mm -hmm. so it's part of our family and it's part of our mentality, I guess. There's a Hawaiian mindset. So it's a huge part of what we are, what we believe. And the goal is to have one of our retirement homes in Hawaii. So it's wow. all encompassing. Yes. Yeah. It's great to set goals like that and to kind of build a theme around a topic that is dear to you. Building community, I think, is really important in the real estate world. And the investor space, um, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead and and speak on your behalf. I did see that, you know, you host regular quarterly meetups with your investors and you're trying to build community with everybody. And, and that is all fantastic. But let me just take a step back and have you introduce a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we can get into some of the nitty gritty of passive investing. Sure, Absolutely. So again, my name is Angie Aki. I'm the owner and founder of Ohana Investment Partners. But let me rewind a bit. I spent, gosh, over close or over 20 years, right about, I feel like my brain is erasing that portion, in corporate America. So I had a really successful sales career. I spent, I think, close to 18 years in pharmaceutical sales and called out hospital systems throughout Florida. Uh, I did very well. I was really great at it, to be honest, but I had no passion for it. It's not what I wanted to do. So fast forward to 2018, I uncovered real estate investing and uh, dabbled a little bit in various forms of real estate investing and decided that I wanted to leave corporate America. I had a very large salary to replace. So I went into wholesaling because I still believe wholesaling is probably the fastest path to cash in real estate investing. So I started wholesaling single family homes in October of 2018 and left corporate America in July of 2019. I left in July because I strategically wanted to get my last bonus. So I had to be there mm -hmm. 
30th. So I left in July uh, 2019. And quite frankly, I have never looked back. I wholesaled single family houses until the end of 2021. I realized again, I had done very well for myself, had built a business. And then I'm a big believer of owning your own dream. And we can talk about that a little bit. But I I looked at the business that I had built and the life I was living and went, hmm, I've created a business I don't love. So I totally shut it down. I, I like, I'm a type A personality. I jump in with two feet. I like to burn the boat. So I shut that business down and went all into commercial real estate investing, focusing on syndications. So Ohana Investment Partners was born. And I have since built a business that I love dearly and passionate about. And it's like, I just love what I do. It's mm-hmm. my dream life every day. You know, before we go on to, you know, what you're working on now, I want to go revisit the burn ship just a little bit. And wholesaling is something that a lot of our listeners ask about. A lot of people who are entering the space ask about, you know, how should people think about the concept of wholesaling in the real estate investment context? What is it good for and what is it not good for? It is really good for getting cash quickly, to be honest. Um, You can get a property under contract and assign it and be out of it and have your money in seven to 10 days, depending on the state, right? I know everyone's different. And if you're listening and you don't know exactly what wholesaling is, um, just to boil it down, it's basically getting a property under contract and assigning that contract to another buyer for a fee. And that's it. So it's really great for making cash very quickly. You don't have to spend a lot to be able to to do wholesaling, you can door knock, you can cold call yourself. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do, or you can pay for marketing, which mm-hmm. I did because I, I had a, a job as well. So what it's not good for is building passive income. There's yeah. no passive income. You're literally, and I'm a very visual person. So I think in pictures, I felt like the same hamster on a different wheel. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh. So it's not good for building passive income. It's also not good um, if you and I'm a person, you know, it's dependent on how you built it, right? I had a very small team, but I had, I struggled because I wasn't the buyer and I wasn't the seller. So I felt like I didn't have complete control over the transaction. Um, So it was dependent on other people holding up their ends of the bargain, which is like hurting cats sometimes. It wasn't a great fit for me, but it is a great way and a great entry into real estate investing. And, and there was overlap between your W-2 job for a number of months, you know, for a variety of reasons. You've already alluded to one of them, which is you want to get a bonus, which is a legitimate reason that a lot of people don't want to leave those W-2 jobs because they keep you on that hamster wheel of the quarterly and annual bonuses. Um, talk about that overlap period where you were working full time and you said, I want to get out of this. And you discovered wholesaling is kind of a way to get out. Like, what were those months like? So I started wholesaling in October 2018, but I had started in real estate investing a little bit before. I want to say, I don't know, early 2018, maybe. Actually, I think 2017 is one of my businesses I started in 2017. So in essence, there were almost two years where people will say, oh, you double dipped, right? That's great. You have income coming from this and you're working full time. Well, it's, it, it wasn't great. So I had a, a four-year-old at the time. It's now almost 10, but I had a four-year-old. So my days, look, it's like everything, right? It looks really glamorous on social media. People think it's great. And then you start digging. You're like, ooh, that, you did all that, right? Yeah. So I was raising a family. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning. I did my morning. Um, I'm a big mindset person. So I did that. Then got to work on real estate investing. Then when he got up, did all the mom stuff, got him to school, went to work, did my full-time job. I was in sales, so I had a decent amount of flexibility. So kind of did some real estate investing between appointments, literally door knocked between appointments, and then came home, did the mom thing, put him to bed, and worked until midnight, usually every single mm-hmm. night. And I did this for almost two years. In hindsight, I have no idea how I did it. But I was on a mission. I knew I wanted to leave corporate America. And I am a big proponent of setting goals and making sure you're meeting those goals and milestones before you jump ship. You have to have a plan and you have to execute. In my opinion. Angie, 
That sounds so glamorous. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> It's so glamorous, right? Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. No, but putting in the work, I mean, like you built a plan, you know, not just for your day, but for your year and then for your two years, basically. You were saying, what's my exit? What's my entry? How am I going to do this with a toddler? You know, and we have a four-year-old, right? And this is the world that we're in right now. Before you record, I mentioned that uh, I, you know, my job ended last year. It wasn't my choice, but that was fine because I was going to leave anyway in a couple months and do what we're doing right now. Um, so, you know, on the way out, I had a good transition and we've been doing real estate investing, uh, since 2016 as short-term rental operators. And we're looking for kind of that next layer that you've discovered yourself. You know, you did passive, you did a uh, wholesaling for a couple of years. Um, and I, I like to think of wholesaling almost like building your bankroll. Like you mentioned, it's good for cash flow, but when you turn off the spigot, it's over, right? You know, yeah, you ha- there's, there's nothing that's going to pay a dividend afterward, but, you know, it pays the bills and it builds your bankroll so you can go invest in something else. You mentioned that you built that company that you then realized you didn't like, okay, or that you don't want to do that anymore. What was that transition like where you said, okay, this is, you know, I'm the W-2 employer now, essentially. Like, I am the boss and I want to now leave this job, you know, so talk about that transition into the next step. It takes courage. It takes, I think the biggest leap of faith, literally and, and figuratively, I've ever taken was leaving my W-2. Uh, probably the second biggest was burning my business mm-hmm. and starting over. But, you know, because, and we talked about the bankroll of wholesaling, I had built up money that I had. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to go figure this out. Because the reality is when you're looking at commercial real estate and syndications, a lot of the payout and the vast majority for operators and fund managers is on the back end. And that may be five years down the road. So I knew, and this is a conversation, you know, obviously I sat down and had with my husband. He's probably my biggest cheerleader, he and my almost 10 year old. But I said, Hey, this is what I want to do. This is what I expect for it to look like financially, time wise, mentally. And, you know, this is what I want. And so we're probably going to take a hit for, I don't know, maybe two to three years. But then we're going to get, we're going to blow through where I was. Mm-hmm. And so we had that conversation and he said, do it. I have faith in you. So I built my business now. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. And then along the way, during those two or three years where you were going to take a hit, is that, were there successes along the way that allowed you to kind of keep the momentum going? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I I still do some active real estate investing because you have to feed the beast, right? So, but but it, it looks different now. Now it's focused on, for instance, we bought lots in um, a neighboring county. And we're building affordable homes. We have an affordable housing crisis in the United States. Um, You know, specifically in Florida, we have some issues. So thought, well, let me build a house. I want it to be an affordable house for someone. And this is what we're going to do. So that's active income. Um, So I still have some of that going. And then as I'm working on different projects, different syndications, different commercial real estate investments, um, you know, there's money coming in from that, Why, whether I'm an active investor or a passive investor. So I also, I help people passively invest in real estate. I very often either invest alongside of them in an offering, or I cannot do that if it's through a retirement vehicle. So I will often invest passively with some of the operators that I'm working with in other offerings. So I am a passive investor in over 1,500 doors 
So I have money coming in from that. And then I am active. I'm active in about 800. Mm-hmm. Wow. Talk about what that means, being involved in all those investments also. So you're out there raising money and finding people that are going to want to invest in all of these syndication deals. And you're putting money up yourself to kind of have skin in the game, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I partner with various different operators or various different teams. And so that either looks like I'm a um, general partner on the team or I'm a fund manager. I spend a lot of time vetting the teams that I work with, the sponsor teams and then the general partner teams doing my due diligence. Um, so I spend a lot of time in that, looking at their communications, looking at their financials, looking at their due diligence on the asset itself and underwriting. So they underwrite it. The bank underwrites it. I underwrite it again. Then it gets to my investors and I always recommend they do their due diligence as well. And so that's what I do also for any passive investments. I still do my due diligence too. It's a bit of a juggle. And then, yes, and then I work with investors and bring offerings to them. And what's great about passive investing and investing in syndications, and I I talk about this all the time because I think it's so important, is taking control of your future. So, so many of us are are raised and, and told, okay, invest in the stock market, invest in the stock market. And that's okay if if you want to do that. And and that's great. And we're invested in the stock market too. But diversification is is really key and understanding that you can take control of your future and you can, you should know what you're investing in. So if you're investing in a real estate syndication, what does that asset look like? Is it multifamily? Uh, We have a short-term rental fund, right? We were talking about that earlier. What does passive investing mean? Passive investing means you're you're wiring funds and you are invested in last year, I think the fund had 80 plus assets in it. So you're invested in 80 short-term rental um, assets across the nation and you don't have to do anything, right? So there's no bug bites. There's no um, making sure people have toilet paper. They can actually operate the, the key fob to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what that looks like. It's a on my end, it's a lot of juggling, to be honest, but I love it because I'm helping people create wealth. And the goal is to get money in the hands of the right people so that they can use it for good and make an impact. Yeah. Rory, I think we need to diversify because uh, Angie alluded to the bug bites that I mentioned earlier. And, and you know, I don't mind working on the properties that we have, but I think that I'm at my limit right now. And that'll change. Rory knows me very well. And you know, I might decide later on this year that I'm completely wrong about it, but uh, you know, we're probably at that point where it might be a good idea to start diversifying into some more passive in investment streams. Rory, what what do you think about that? Sure, for the investments that we might consider passive, they are awfully time consuming. Um, we're at the properties a lot. We are um, repairing properties a lot. We are getting everything set up, doing yard work, and to some degree. That's great. I mean, I advocate for people doing that when they enter the space because it, it saves you some money and helps you get um, enhance your cash flow right out of the gate and also helps you understand what really goes into managing these properties, whatever you're doing. So go being on site, knowing what it takes to to clean a short-term rental, know, know what it takes to um, to to do a, a major construction project on a, on a home. Um, know what goes into it. So that way, when you want to step back, you know how to hire the right people. You know how to build a team because you've had a taste of it yourself. Now, I'm not suggesting that people go out and do high-voltage electrical work um, when they have no experience doing that. Um, that's not at all what I'm suggesting, but it's a great way to understand what really goes into it so you can become a better passive investor. And you know, I would actually say, um, ask how those lessons followed you here because you started when wholesaling, something that is very, very active to the point where once you step off the hamster wheel, everything grinds to a halt. You're doing these passive um, investments, but you're kind of the general partner and there's a lot of active work that you just alluded to going into it. Um, but you're also a passive partner in some of these these projects. Um, you know, Am I off base to say that the work you did in the most active um, phases of real estate investing informed the more passive um, investments that you've been able to do throughout your evolution? Yes. So, um, no, you're not a face, I should say. Yes, you're correct. Um, so that active role helped me bankroll, in essence, the the passive investments that I have as well. Um, 
passive real estate investing is magical. It it truly is magical. Um, And so having that experience, though, it it really helps understanding what's what goes into a larger a larger project. I also own a small mobile home park with a partner. So there's two of us. We own that's an active investment. It's using that that expertise and that experience to be able to translate that and help people understand what goes into these investments. Because it may be passive for my my investors, but I want them to be able to understand looking at the business plan is so critical. It is you are investing in a business. When you're investing into commercial real estate, it is a business. So what is the business plan? What is the execution? And understanding you know, what it means to increase rents, how that affects the value. So everything I did, right? And I'm grateful for everything I did. I'm grateful for my time in in pharmaceuticals because quite frankly, that was, I was under pharma guidelines, right? Now I'm under SEC guidelines. So I feel uh, very well versed in making sure I'm doing things appropriately, that we have all the, the right legal docs and the right teams in place to provide the investors the best experience and make sure that they are protected uh, both legally and mitigating their risks as well. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like though you're involved in a, a wide range of different types of investments. You mentioned a mobile home park, you're developing land into affordable housing um, and all these different categories. And there's been a trend for people to kind of pick one uh, niche and really know that very well and drill down into it. But you seem comfortable to um, invest in and in, in be involved in a, with a wide range of things. Uh, where does the comfort come from? And are there any challenges with that? So the comfort comes from having the right team. So if I'm looking at an asset type, and I am a big believer, some people go, they'll go all in in multifamily, right, or storage or something. And that's all they do. And I think that's great for them. For me, because I'm such a big believer in diversification, I want to work with investors and I want them to be able to have diversified offerings. So for instance, our short-term rental fund provides great cash flow and may provide in some cases, right? And it's it's offering by offering, right? So you can't really generalize. But in some cases, it may provide better cash flow than multifamily right now with the interest rates. So that may be more of an equity play, but if an investor is looking for cash flow, they may may prefer the short-term rental fund. You know, we own a mobile home park. We're looking for more mobile home parks. I am talking to a business partner about car washes, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think of it, the comfort comes from going back to the thought that you are investing in a business. When you're looking at the valuation of commercial real estate, you're looking at financials, just like you would in a business. So that's where that comfort comes from and having the right team, the right sponsor team, the right general partners that are surrounding me. Because that that is my comfort and that is my confidence because I am very intentional about picking the people I work with. Are there some challenges with that? I guess, yes. But I'm not knee deep in operations day in, day out on all of these asset types. So I, I would say some challenges of that is frankly just educating my investors on the pros and cons of each asset type, because there are pros and cons of each asset type and making sure I'm providing that education because I I firmly believe the education piece is a huge component of passive real estate investing because you always want to know what you're investing in, whether that's an asset type or a market. So I do a lot of education on the markets we're investing in as well as the asset types and what we like and maybe what we don't like. Mm -hmm. So let's say that I'm listening to this and... I have $100,000 to invest, right? Just a round number. Let's not, 100 is the accredited threshold, right? Like accredited versus non-accredited or no, it's a million, million dollars. That's right. So let's say $100,000, right? $100,000 cash in my pocket saying, hey, I want to do something with it. Maybe I have a couple other investments going on. I want to give it to somebody to get a passive investment. What could I expect in coming to one of your events, having a conversation with you, talking to some of the other people that have done investing with you? Um, you know, is there a recommendation to kind of say, well, here's a portfolio of options that we have. This one might have a eight to twelve percent payback. This might have a six to ten percent payback. This is a five year payback period. Like, kind of, what's 
what happens to that person that shows up like for the first time with some cash ready to go? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. So that person typically goes through our website and signs up as an interested investor. And that is they always have to do that. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, they have to show interest, right? They have to actually take a step. I'm not going to do that for them for so many reasons, also for legal reasons. They have to go through that. They also, so, so part of that, it's a very short intake form, asks about financials, and that will funnel them so that I know whether they are an accredited investor or a non-accredited investor, so that I know what type of offerings they can get. And then the next um, the next step, whether or not, and if they're at one of my events, right, this will help meet the criteria as well. But we need to have a call if they're going to have any exposure to our 506B offerings, because you have to have a relationship with me to get those offerings. So we need to schedule a call and or if you're at my event, right? So all of that is documented. So once that is documented, right, and it sounds like a lot, but I promise it's really not. It's very simple. Um, And so once you're in our system, you will start getting offerings and you get offerings via email. And so each offering will have the, again, we go over what we like about the deal, um, why the asset type, why the market, there's investor slides, there's often a webinar, um, and then it has the returns. So then it will have the returns listed per offering. So you as the investor are choosing which offerings you're saying, yes, I want to raise my hand. I'm interested in this. And there's often a soft commit form or something to signify, yes, I'm interested in this. And then the team circles back. And then we we go through all the the subscription documents, the private placement memorandum, operating agreement and wire and all that from there. Mm-hmm. But you get you get the offerings to review. And part of the part of the phone call or the conversation that I start with and most of the investors is understanding what the reason is for passively investing, where the funds are coming from, how much they have to invest and how long they're interested in investing for. So some of our offerings, we're actually uh, looking at rolling something out that's going to be very liquid. A lot of our offerings have a five year hold. One of them had a two year hold last year. One of them had a one year hold. Right. So it's different, different hold times, different returns. And then that matters as far as where your funds are coming from. So if someone has saved up $50,000 and that's every dollar they have saved up, them investing in a five year hold and not knowing what's coming down the road in five years and it's the only cash they have, it's probably not advisable. But those are conversations we have. But at the end of the day, the investors are making their own decisions as to what they're moving forward with. Does the payback for some of your investments or many of your investments begin on month one after they've invested or with all the five-year hold periods, is it all going to be paid back with interest and everything at the very end compounded over those five years? So the short answer is neither. And there, there's not a blanket there's not a blanket response. Uh, typically, if an asset has to be stabilized, which is where we provide the value add and we're able to force appreciation, typically those those assets, you are not getting distributions often for 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. But it depends on the investment, right? So we talked about short-term rentals and that fund is spinning off cash flow much faster. So the expected distributions were six months we were able to roll them out in three months to our investor. Mm-hmm. Our investors, excuse me. I had a recent offering that closed in Arizona. Investors got distributions the following month. So it just depends. But we we typically will do quarterly distributions, or if it looks like they're not getting distributions for 12 to 18 months, we let that know, let mm-hmm. that be known best we can. Now, if a preferred return is deferred for some reason, or is not paid, it is deferred. So it's not like the investor, oh, just didn't get paid for 12 months or something, right? All of that is deferred. And then we start catching it up. 
but there are very few investments. Although there are some offerings where the investor sees nothing until the end. And if they do, often those provide a higher return or average annual uh, rate of return to to basically right encourage investors to do that. Yeah. There's no there's no cash flow to that. But that it, does happen sometimes. Yeah, and, and a strategy with that, I mean, let's say somebody is working a W-2 job or has other investments, maybe they want to start like a waterfall where like, you know, this year you invest in, you know, fund A that pays back five years from now, but next year you also invest in fund B that pays back five years from then. So if you could wait, you know, three to five years, whatever the payback period is, then they'll start kind of uh, paying dividends to you and paying you back, you know, year after year after year, you just have a couple of years to wait until that happens. And I'm sure that happens to some of your investors. And that's what we're doing, honestly. And then the goal is to get if you're investing, you know, a hundred thousand here, and let's call it you're getting two hundred thousand back. Then if you're reinvesting that two hundred thousand, that just snowballs. And so yeah. five years may seem like a long time, but it's really not. And if you're close to doubling your money, which is our goal, is coming close to that, right? And it is an investment, so there's risks. Let me put that disclaimer out there. But if you're looking at reinvesting your proceeds you're getting, you can, I mean, you can snowball very, very quickly through syndicate mm-hmm. and not have to do any of the work, which is, yeah. you just get the emails, the updates and the community element to it as well. Right. Because you're yeah. building community around your investors. Are you, are they getting together um, at those quarterly events or are you having zoom chats with them? Is there a Facebook group? Like what is the community element to what you put together with Ohana investment partners? So a lot of what we do are in-person um, events here within Orlando, although I have investors all over the nation. So I will, I will do a virtual event. Uh, coming up where we'll have everyone come in and that way they can connect, share information if they want to chat amongst themselves or whatnot. But yes, the goal is to create community and, and have them, you know, answer questions, talk to each other. What's your experience? You know, we provide as many resources as I possibly can. Also knowing that someone's walking alongside the same journey you are Mm -hmm. provides a, a different level of comfort. And even if it's, Hey, you know, do you understand your K-1, right? Or something like that. Or do you have an accountant you use? And we, you know, we recently, K-1s, we've spent a lot of time with K-1s because as an investor, you're getting, uh, you know, depending on the situation, a 1099 or typically a K-1. So you're getting that. And so you're getting a lot of the tax benefits of real estate investing without doing the work. Um, mm-hmm. But I had my accountant walk through how to understand a K-1 and what you're looking at. It's important. So- can I play devil's advocate for a couple of things and we can solve the things in my head? All right. So we did a little syndication a couple of years ago and, you know, we got our money back. Um, we made some money on it. Right. But the, the kind of the experience I was left with were there were a couple of good things. Like I felt like I was updated regularly, you know, from the people. Um, I felt like they were legitimate operators, you know, that were putting it to those. This is very small potatoes. You know, it's like a $20,000 investment or something. And, okay. you know, I got back 30 after a couple of years. During it, I think there was an additional optional capital call or there's an optional way to put more money into it. I don't know if a capital call is the right, the right term for it. And I didn't put additional money into it because I wanted to use the money for a different investment. And then there was an additional year that it took to pay back afterward, like beyond what we kind of expected. So those kind of situations, like do those come up frequently? Is that just a isolated one-off that kind of happened to us? It didn't leave a bad taste. It just left a, huh, you know, one of those unsatisfying tastes in my mind. Um, fair question. So capital calls. <laughs> capital calls happen on occasion. They have happened more recently than they have in the past because a lot of operators went in with a bridge loan. So they may have had a certain rate for two or three years and then they have to refi, right, or get a new loan. Well, oh, by the way, if interest rates are going from two to seven percent or whatever, right? That's a significant difference. So if you can't, right, if you're struggling, we've seen other operators do capital calls. Um, none of the syndications that I have been a part of have done a capital call. Um, 
that is one of the things I talk about. One of the things when I'm vetting operators, I say, hey, how many full cycles have you been through? How many capital calls? How much do you have in reserves? So that we really, we want to protect our investors from a capital call. We don't, like that is, that's not what you want. You really don't want a capital call. And if there's a capital call, you want to make sure that it's going to the GPs first before you roll that out to the LPs. So um, does it happen? Yes. Is it unfortunate? Yes. Have I I've been through that personally and experienced it in any of the syndications I've been part of? No. But that's not to say, right? It's an investment. There's a risk in everything. Um, as far as the, the wind down period or the sell off or sunset, however you want to look at that, all of that, it's typically in your subscription docs, your private placement memorandum, your operating agreement, all of that is in there. So I tell people and they get the docs and they're like, oh, you know, what should I look, what should I look at? And, and um, you know, Rory probably can back me up. I'm like, it's a legal doc. I can do nothing but tell you, you should read the whole thing. And so looking at the wind down period and understanding, because too, if we're looking, for instance, our short-term rental fund, you know, if we're winding out or we're selling off 90 assets, that's not going to happen overnight, even if we package them as portfolios. So we have a, a wind down period or a sunset period in there if needed. You know, but obviously at any capital event, the investors are still getting paid back. So based on the waterfalls, they may be still getting some of the proceeds. But there typically is a wind down period. Um, you know, the, the operator team knew if they had to sell it or the refinancing, you know, that's coming before year five or however long it was. So you're preparing for that, whether it's another loan, whether it's refinancing or selling the asset, but you, you want to make sure going into these things that you're saying, Hey, what is your, you know, what is your sales criteria? You never want to be, a, you never want to be a motivated seller. So you want to understand, you know, what is their what is their entry cap? What is their exit cap? What is their plan? Right? What is their what does their debt service look like? We spend so much time on that now. What does the debt service look like on the assets? Because you don't want to have to be forced to refinance or sale or sell in two years because mm -hmm. who the heck knows what the interest rates are gonna be like in two years. But yeah, there's typically um, you know, there may be a wind down period. Some of these assets, I mean, if it's a fifty million dollar asset, you may not have investors on every quarter or on every corner, excuse me. And that's why it's important to know too what asset type you're investing in and what markets. So I the only offerings I roll out are in the Southeast and the Sunbelt states. I know you guys are in the Northeast, no offense. I'm not like nothing up there for me. Right. It's a different when well when we look at the migration patterns and the employer patterns, like everyone's pouring into the South. So that's where the confidence is of, hey, we're going to have to offer this asset at some point. Where are our buyers going to be? Mm -hmm. So it's just stuff like that. I hope that answered that. It sure did. We're already have a follow-up for that. Like We touched upon a couple of legal things in there. No, yeah. I actually want to wrap up on something that's completely not legal-related at all. And that's kind of circling back to why we're doing this in the first place. What does your work-life balance look like today after you've gone through these changes and really retooled what your, your business looks like? We'll be right back. Running a podcast for your business comes with unique challenges and unique opportunities. To create a show that makes a real difference, you need a clear strategy and metrics that tell you whether or not it's working. On The Company Show, created by One Stone Creative, we're talking to industry-leading experts and sharing our own insights from years of producing podcasts that make an impact for businesses and entrepreneurs. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts and releases every other Thursday. Come check it out and start seeing your show working harder for you and your business. So it looks pretty. Some weeks are different than others, right? It depends if it's K-1 season. It depends if I have an offering rolling out and how many events I'm running. Um, I'm finding that I'm running quite a few events, but I love them. So it doesn't feel like work. My typical day, I went cycling this morning. I started work at about eh, 10, 1030. And I'll be done. I'll wrap four. I need to run to the grocery store in the interim. But then I have some days where I may have an event until nine o'clock at night. 
but then there's flex time, right? And so I may work till midnight one night, but that's because it's quiet and I can get a ton done. And that's because I choose to do that. But then I'm taking flex time, right? So my my goal and what I wanted to build, and so the proof will be in the pudding this summer, is to be able to spend time off with my son when he has time out of school. So last summer, we traveled quite a bit. I was in the middle of a raise and we were in Colorado and I would work for one or two hours a day. And we would hang out and we explored the, you know, Rocky Mountains and wherever we were. We were in Utah as well. It was wonderful. So this summer we have we're going to go back and forth to the beach. So we're going to be in Orlando. We're going to be on the beach. So we're going to see what that looks like. Am I going to work a couple hours a day? Probably. But I love to do it. And then the rest of the day is his. So that work-life balance is is much better. I'm also a person, I try to take off a week. And the week of my birthday, I was like, I'm going to take off a week. I'm going to do this. I get bored. So, <laughs> I mean, the reality is I love to work. I love what I do. So I want to work. Um, but I built that. And that's a really great place to be. I'm also in my 40s. So it's really tough. I don't have any friends where I'm like, hey, you want to go to lunch on a Tuesday? Right? They're like, what the heck? No, I'm working. And then otherwise, it's, you know, my entrepreneur friends, we typically will go and, and talk about business, but no one wants to just hang out by the pool all day. Yeah. Um, it's not in your, in your DNA to do that either. You know, I mean, like the what you've just described right there, I think a lot of the people who are listening to this, myself included, that is that is what we're all looking to achieve. You know, we're looking to call our own shots and dictate our own schedule. And sometimes work, you know, merits a focus for a couple hours. And sometimes you could put that aside in the middle of the day and deal with something with your son or something personally. And, you know, working a W2 job in an office building in an office park doesn't usually allow people to do that. And that's why people are listening to podcasts like this and, you know, working with uh, folks like yourself, Angie, who can lead them into the pathway where you can dictate your own schedule. Um, and it's, it's something we should all want to achieve. I mean, like I'm in my forties also. And like, I feel like what you've described is kind of how I spend most of my time these days, you know, where I'm not commuting to something every single day. Yesterday I was on the road for 200 something miles, right? I drove to New Hampshire. I spent the day up there. I was overseeing some stuff that was going on. We're having a drain put in and, you know, met with a couple of folks that are up there. Drove way down to Newton, Massachusetts and volunteered my time with uh, the Flag Football League that I'm involved with. I referee on the weekends. And then afterward, I drove home and, you know, saw our daughter. So and and that was a perfect day for me. Right. There was I didn't not want to do any of that stuff. And I couldn't have done that if I was still working a W2 job. But I laid the seeds along the way that allowed me not to have to rely on that job, just like you've done. And, you know, setting that day up is intentional. I'm sure that what you're looking at right now was probably the vision that you had many years ago when you were still working in pharmaceutical sales. Um, so that's that's amazing that you're able to kind of achieve that. And who knows what it's going to be a couple of years from now, right? Um, who knows, right? I don't who knows? Know. Yeah. I mean, maybe you'll get bored of this company and burn it down and do something else and you'll become like a tech entrepreneur. I don't know, but- No, definitely um, not. Definitely no. <laughs> not. I'm, I'm sales and marketing and I-, I yeah. I have now built the um, business of my dream. So my next exit will be sitting done. Yes. Actually sitting on the beach. And that's it. And then maybe doing what raising for one offering that would be easy. And then we still have money coming in. Right. So I could tell that your sales and marketing background from working for two decades has really helped in what you're doing right now. Would you agree? Yes. 100%. Yeah. There's a lot of translatable skills. I mean, I was in media sales for a long time. I was in the media business for a long time, but half that time was as a media sales manager. And I kind of see a lot of what this the good salespeople did and the skills that they actually, you know, allowed them to succeed in that business. And I see a lot of that in what you're describing. Um, you know, pharmaceutical sales is different. You're selling to doctors, you're selling to hospitals, but you know, you're selling to basically local businesses. Uh, at least in the case of what we were selling, it was local media sales and I think that there are very translatable skills from worlds like that into, you know, a real estate investing capacity. And, and you've discovered how to do that as well. Yep, absolutely. 
let's uh, let's wrap the final three questions we ask all our guests who come on the podcast, and then we can um, spend a little bit of time where you could tell people where they can get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you, your investments, get involved with some of your events in Orlando, or just kind of have a, a chat. We ask these of all the guests that come on just to wrap it up and uh, learn a little bit more about you. First question, if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Owning your own dream. Yeah. And I think it's critical. This is not a dress rehearsal. We have one shot at this life. So it better be your best damn life that you can make. And it's not worth living someone else's dream. I can talk about that. I'm actually hosting an event in August. It's a women's event. And that is one of the things I'm going to discuss because it, it is important. Where's that event going to be? Orlando. All right. If, if it's on your website, we'll link it up in the show notes. If not, you'll have to send us a link so we could actually okay. put that on there. I will. Because um, this, this podcast will be out in July, as I mentioned. So maybe people will hear it and want to come to the event. Quick follow up to that. At what point in your life did you kind of have that switch turned on? Like you're in your 40s right now. Like Did that happen from day one when you started working? Or was it like as you started working a number of years, maybe in your 30s, at some point you're like, I want to change this all and I want to really take the control? So it was the years I turned 40. Maybe it was a midlife crisis. I have no idea. But I just woke up and went, I, it was just the realization that I was doing something I didn't love. And I didn't know entrepreneurship was an option. I didn't grow up with a family of entrepreneurs. And until I started getting into real estate investing, I didn't realize that that was something I could do. And I did all the things I was supposed to do. But there was still this itch I couldn't scratch. Mm -hmm. And that was running my own business. And so that was my aha moment was in my 40s. Yeah. I, on my couch in my room doing my mindset stuff. And I went, hmm, I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> Isn't that a liberating feeling also? Once you do that, you're like, I'm going to do this. And now I got to figure out how to go forward. How to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Rory, Rory's about to enter the decade of enlightenment, which is the 40s. I've never said oh. that before, but I'm in my I'm in my 40s, and you know I think the 40s are very enlightening. Oh. And Rory has it's a couple amazing. more months until he hits the 40s, but yes, oh, it's, we still oh, have a few more 30. months. I'm not yes, there yet. I know, I know, but, but it's coming. It's, it's amazing. I feel yeah. like the older I get, the the better I get, and uh, you know, age is just a number. I I tell myself all the time, I'm like, I feel like I'm in my 20s. I feel yeah. great. Well, here, here's what it is, like you know. When you're in your 40s, you're more established and like you kind of have an FU mindset. Like, you know what? If I don't want to do this, screw it. Like, I'm not going to do it. Like, if you if you have the confidence in yourself that you don't have to do whatever that is, that's when you do that. You're not impressionable in your 20s or looking to like, you know, just, you know, make, make everyone else happy. You want to make yourself happy. And I think that really that level of clarity happened to me in my 40s. It really did. And it's just so liberating once it happens. Okay. Uh, we get, that's a whole separate podcast. Second question. Um, uh, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. So early in my life, in my 20s, and I forget how old he was, to be honest, um, but I had a very dear friend of mine and he got killed in Afghanistan in war. It rocked my world. You know, quite honestly, the silver lining was that I realized that you never know if tomorrow is coming. So all of a sudden, money doesn't matter, right? It's just who you're spending time with, the impact you're making in the world. That's what matters. So it it changed my entire mindset. You know, I'm a silver lining person. I still miss him, but I'm a silver lining person. So I will forever be grateful to Luke for teaching me that life lesson and, and knowing, hey, this is not a dress rehearsal. You have one shot, make a damn difference, make an impact and, you know, be something because, yeah. you know, you never know who's going to be here. So yeah. that was my, that was my impact moment. And, um, you know, his family is still very dear to me. I just went out. I actually took my son out to meet them uh, this past year. That's awesome. Yeah, that ha I mean, that happens in our lives. You know, a moment happens early on that you just take with you and it motivates you. It just keeps you going forward. So, yeah, Absolutely. Final question. Tell us something that you're listening to or watching or reading these days. I am actually listening to Happy Money. So it talks about the flow of money and 
happy money and how to attract it and be happy with money you're sending out and thankful and grateful for happy uh, for money that's coming in. I like happy money. Yeah. Rory, can, can, yeah. Rory yeah. can you get that get that audiobook for us so it's uh yeah. so it's available? I have a few credits. I'll add that to the list. Yeah. yeah. There yeah, I, I listen to audiobooks all the time. I read. Um I'm also reading Intentional Living by John Maxwell. I'm a John Maxwell trained uh, speaker and coach. I love John Maxwell. I think he's and talk about a guy that's made a huge impact. So I'm I'm reading that right now. And then um there's always something. I'm always yeah. trying to learn and grow. Yeah. Bro, you're you've done. Um, I think you're flourishing is from what you've described. So Angie, this has been a, a, a delightful conversation to really get to know you a little bit better and to learn a little bit uh, about how you know you're operating your life and your business. I, I said life first intentionally there. If people want to get a hold of you, learn more about you, have a conversation, invest with you, what are some of the best ways? So the best way would be to go to my website, ohanainvestmentpartners.com. And there is a link to become an interested investor. And that just says, hey, I'm interested in potentially passively investing in real estate. No obligation. There's no fee. I'm a no pressure kind of person. So feel free to click that. Um, You can also email me, Angie, at ohanainvestmentpartners.com. And I know you guys are going to include links. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook under Angie Lee Aki. But yes, I'd love to hear from you on Connect. I feel like I'm getting some of your newsletters on LinkedIn sent to me. Oh, you are. That's, yeah, yeah. Again, it's been in, your your name's been in my inbox a number of times leading up to this episode. So fantastic. Um, yeah, see, it works. <laughs> it works. Um, Rory, where can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you? Um, they can find me through my real estate brokerage, Next Home Title Town. That's at nexthometitletown.com. Or through my law practice, that's Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com. All right. And as the least important person on this podcast, if you want to get a hold of me uh, and want to be on the podcast or have questions for me, Rory, Angie, anything that we've talked about, you can reach me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com. That's it. That's a wrap. Angie, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to learn about passive investing, mindset, leaving the corporate life, everything you've talked about. It's so near and dear to my heart. So, you know, lots of people who are listening to this, if you've made it this far on the episode, it is near and dear to your heart too. So um, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again in the future. And um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Awesome. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star review or drop a comment in the comment section. We're happy to respond to those. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.